0: Welcome to Smart Healthcare Safety from ECRI, the most trusted voice in healthcare, committed to advancing effective, evidence-based care. I'm your host, Paul Anderson, and for more than 10 years, I've overseen our Patient Safety, Risk, and Quality membership programs here at ECRI. Tens of thousands of healthcare leaders rely on us as an independent, trusted authority to improve the safety, quality, and cost-effectiveness of care across all healthcare settings worldwide. You can learn more about our unique capabilities to improve outcomes at www.ecri.org. We're recording this podcast from our respective home offices as we practice and encourage all of you to practice good social distancing to help limit the spread of COVID. Today, we're talking about patient safety organizations, or PSOs, a federal designation rooted in the Patient Safety and Quality Improvement Act of 2005. We'll explore what it means to be and participate in a PSO, the evidence for how participation can benefit patient safety, and briefly review some of the legal challenges to PSO protections. To get us started, I'll ask our guest to introduce herself.
1: Hi, Paul, thank you for having me here. I'm Brigida Mueller. I'm a physician by background, and I currently serve as the Executive Director of Patient Safety risk and quality here at ECRI, which includes our large PSO.
0: And that's a a good place to start, I think actually, is is the PSO. And can you briefly just define what a PSO is (laughs) and why PSOs were a key feature of the Patient Safety Act back in 05?
1: So PSOs were initially created to give a safe environment to protect information from discovery. There was a worry that uh, a problem that happened, for example, in a hospital would not be discussed and therefore people would not learn from it and prevent it from happening again if they're worried that malpractice lawyers could get a a hold of it. So the Patient Safety um, Act was created to protect that information, to give a forum where people can discuss, evaluate, investigate, and then also draw conclusions from any event that has happened.
0: You know, that benefit seems like it, it, it has sort of a dual benefit, right? We can learn sort of at the big picture in the aggregate, but are there also benefits, you know, if I'm a, an individual provider, Are there benefits to me individually to participating in one?
1: Sure. Just in general, um, collecting the data and looking across more than one organization or uh, over several years gives a lot of information that we can learn from. For example, our own um, PSO has over 4 million events that we have collected over time. But, A PSO is not just a collection and protection of data. Behind the PSO is a whole group of experts, often very experienced nurses or risk managers, physicians or other experts that can help any client with problems that they encounter. So for example, uh, somebody in a hospital might have a big problem with falls. We then can look at what other people have done and discuss with the clients some interventions that could be done or ways of better capturing what actually happens and what the situations are where these falls occur. And then we we can help them improve their rates. So as an individual provider, I definitely will have the benefit of the accumulated experience that we have at ECRI.
0: And, and the idea just to sort of reiterate what you said earlier is without those protections that come from the Patient Safety Act, we wouldn't be able to aggregate all that information we couldn't learn from each other, because we have this concern that it would then end up in litigation.
1: Correct. Yes. Yeah. Are, are PSOs just for hospitals? No, that's a good question. They definitely are mainly used in acute care, so in hospitals. but. Um, Ambulatory care, uh, can be protected as well. Uh, dental clinics, uh, ambulatory surgery centers, long-term care facilities. They're not quite as commonly used in these settings, but they certainly are protected under the patient safety act.
0: Good. Okay. So very broad applicability. Um, you know, you mentioned that we have gosh, more than 4 million events that we just did our PSO and, um, you know, we're proud of our PSO, but there there are other PSOs that have other events. Are there other types of information that can be submitted and protected under the PSO for learning and for protection? Because I'm assuming it's not just events.
1: That's correct, yes. So for example, let's say I'm in a hospital and something bad happens. Usually the local people will do an investigation Uh, what we call a root cause analysis. They go really into the details of why does this happen? Uh, What were the circumstances? Because usually it's not a person that on on purpose did something wrong, but it's a situation that let that person do something uh, that wasn't correct. Or it was a whole cascade of events that that led to the final outcome. So these root cause analyses, they are also protected. But there are many other things as well. It depends on the organization, what they decide they want to protect. Some organizations protect their peer review, meaning that uh, the review of quality, Performance of individuals like individual physicians that can be protected. They can also protect other information deliberations in a, for example, in a infection prevention and control committee can be protected. What cannot be protected, and I know this is probably your next question, is material or information that has to be reported to the state or to the, some other agency by law. So for example, um, every hospital is required to report how many catheter associated bloodstream infections they have. So the number of these, that's a mandatory reporting to the state uh, health agency. However, when a hospital tries to figure out why do we have all these infections and what happened in them that you can protect under the PSO.
0: Mm. So it's sort of the distinction between the fact that something happened versus the, right, the investigation into the, the particular circumstances and the root causes, as you said, and, and I'm guessing, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but, but also um any quality improvement plan that might flow out of or, or corrective actions that might flow out of that investigation?
1: You can protect that, although um, you might not want to because you want to use that widely. Um, you know, Let's say you want to retrain all your nurses in how to handle central lines uh, to make sure everybody has the same uh, process. That's not something that needs to be protected. That's something you want to distribute to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are other, uh, there is other information that you might want to protect. Of that, so you can be very granular. To yes, I want to protect this, and no, this part uh, is does not need to be protected. Also, what cannot be protected is um, anything that is used for other. Purposes like business purposes, Uh, let's say, for example, um, how many patients need to be readmitted for something, Mm -hmm. that's a business uh, information that uh, everybody has to report to CMS. So it's not just reportable, but it's also used for business purposes. For example, any investigation, what we call root cause analysis, when you go into the details of why something happened, what were the circumstances, who was involved and all that, that you can protect. Some organizations also want to protect their peer reviews, meaning that uh, if uh, you want to look at the quality of care between different uh, providers, for example, you can protect that. What you cannot protect, and I know you will want to ask that is, Anything that is mandatory to be reported to some agency, either the state health department, CMS, or uh, some other agency, like for example, the number of catheter associated bloodstream infections. That's a number that every hospital has to report. However, if the hospital does an investigation on why this happened, And uh, why do we have more infections than somebody else or than we expect? That investigation part does not have to be uh, reported to the state, but can be protected under the PSO.
0: So it's kind of the distinction between the, the absolute number is one piece of information and all that investigation and research and, you know, root cause analysis you described, that's separate and that is... Uh, okay, to be protected, so to speak. That's correct. Yes. Um, and then, how about how about what comes out of that investigation—a a quality improvement action or a corrective action that we want to take—is that uh, eligible for protection?
1: You potentially could protect it, but the question is whether you really want to do that, because again, the the reason for the investigation is to learn and to get better and to prevent the next uh, event. So let's say you want to standard making sure that all nurses use the same standardized approach to handling these catheters, hand washing, the same kind of dressings and all that. That part, that plan to do some more training to make sure everybody is consistent I don't see a big reason to protect that because that's a good thing. You want to share that with everybody. However, if you uh, have some detailed information about, let's say um, it's this ward that had a lot of problems and we're focusing on this area. Now that might be something you want to protect. So you can be very granular on what you, want to protect and what you want to share. Is, is there,
0: and, and I see you're, distra- you're drawing a distinction between protecting and sharing. Um, and I guess sort of my, my question would be, I mean, is there ever a reason, um, my, my instinct as an outsider and a non-attorney would be just protect everything. Um, I, I, want, I want, protection sounds great. I want everything protected. Are there limitations once information is protected in, in how you can use it within your own institution?
1: The the challenge is that patients have a right to the information. So there is always uh, some tension. You don't want to hide things. You want to protect people who innocently did something wrong. If they on purpose did something wrong, you clearly want to pursue that and take action. And that should not be hidden. And uh, some some lawyer actually may use this in a case. Um, there are some other protections around that, but in general, if something was done on purpose, that's that's a different story. However, most of the case, what we see most of the time, what we see is that somebody just innocently did something wrong, or the situation didn't let them do the right thing. So they took a shortcut and that ended up the wrong way. So there it is a systems problem that we need to address. And so that one, the organization needs to learn and, and get better at improving the situation for, for the people. So I, I mentioned,
0: uh, you know, the Patient Safety Act was passed in 2005. The first PSOs were designated in 2008. ECRI was among that first round. So that's, gosh, that's well over 10 years now. Um, Have we seen anything in that time to suggest that, you know, having PSOs is having its intended effect, that we are starting to make meaningful improvements in patient safety, either, you know, locally at one organization, or I don't know if we can say anything big picture nationwide, if these are having the effect we hoped for?
1: That's a difficult question because um, it would be very hard to claim that uh, a certain uh, advancement is just due to a PSO. Because uh, usually there's so many different approaches that are taken at the local level, at the regional level, at the national level with awards, with punishment. Uh, If, uh, for example, CMS now, uh, gives out penalties if uh, certain quality metrics are not reached. So it would be very hard to to say. As a patient safety expert, we're clearly not where we need to be. Too many things are still happening. We saw that just now with COVID, for example. Uh, We were very unprepared in many areas, and we all know in the nursing home arena especially, despite theoretically knowing what should be done, but either the funding wasn't there or the focus wasn't there. And all of a sudden we ended up with a big problem. Unfortunately, that still can happen in hospitals, in long-term care, in any setting. So continued vigilance and focus on patient safety and learning from anything that goes wrong, as well as things that go right is very, very important.
0: So I want to touch base on uh, one more uh, one last thing is this idea of legal protections. We've talked a little bit about that's that's sort of one of the big benefits of, of uh, PSOs in general. And again, with the caveat that neither of us are attorneys, um, I assume however, that since these protections have been around they've been challenged by plaintiff attorneys um, you know trying, trying to get this information that's designated as protected. Can you, you know, briefly summarize how, you know, what is the current status? How have courts um, handled those? And you know, I understand that different appellate level courts may come to different conclusions or state courts, or, but what's sort of the broad scope of, of the, the status of those protections? Have they been upheld? The
1: Patient Safety Act is a federal law. So theoretically, federal law trumps state laws. However, we know that states often like to do things their own way. So in, uh, there is really a difference be- among the states. Some states have very good protection and uh, to the point where uh, some people don't even think we need a PSO because the state protection is so good. Other states, there is continued uh, attempts to undermine the protection and uh, pull out certain parts that uh, uh, might not be protected. The bottom line is the Patient Safety Act is not an easy law to understand. So unless you really specialized in this area, your hospital counsel might not know all the details. Your malpractice lawyer may not know all the details. The judges may not understand all the details of the intricacies. So we certainly have uh, seen that it was necessary from lawyers that specialize in in this area to write uh, amicus briefs or support uh, uh, or not support certain decisions because uh, either they didn't or did agree with with the conclusion. So it's not written in stone, it's not settled totally. But the PSO has, uh, as a PSO, we have some access to lawyers with specialized uh, expertise that can help individual hospitals or other clients uh, if they get into trouble with, with the law in that regard. We are not ourselves lawyers, but we work with with organizations that can provide that kind of support.
0: Yeah, I always, I I find myself saying more and more, I'm not a lawyer, but I, <laughs> I say that a lot these days. Um, so I always like to wrap up the podcast by asking folks to describe, you know, something listeners can do today to start advancing patient safety and in, in whatever topic we're talking about, and. You know, someone might not be able to move this afternoon forward the decision to join a PSO and finalize all of that' it's, you know before supper time but what can they where can they start if they're evaluating um, whether they want to participate in a PSO what are some initial steps they might want to
1: take I think the most important part is the culture of safety if an organization is willing to learn from anything that goes wrong, and things will go wrong because we have so complicated situations in healthcare. If you're willing to learn from it, to be open with the patients or or family members that have been impacted by it, not to punish automatically any providers that have been involved in it, but learn from what, what can we do better? How can we prevent it from happening again? That's the first step. We need an open discussion about these things and sharing of experiences. Because if, some, if I by chance do something wrong, it's very likely that it, somebody else could have done the same thing wrong. Yeah. So why not talk about it and then be aware that there is a risk that I do something wrong if I do the same um, task like this other person.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's, that's a great starting point. Um, Dr. Mueller, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: You're very welcome.
0: can learn more about ECRI and the Institute for Safe Medication Practices, PSO, on the ECRI website at www.ecri.org, where you'll see opportunities to download examples of the types of learning that the PSO can offer for its members, such as through past deep dive reports, like our 2020 look at surgical patient safety, and our annual Top 10 Patient Safety Concerns Report, which had its 2021 version released just in March of this year. Be sure to subscribe to Smart Healthcare Safety on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts to get our latest episodes. We welcome your feedback. Please visit us at ecri.org or email us at ecri-podcasts at ecri.org.